Hello and welcome to the Makecast, the official podcast of Museum of Arts and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as a part of May's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable aspects of rare games and consoles. As we approach our grand reopening, the support of people like you has enabled us to continue to bring history to you through lectures and interviews like the one you'll hear in a few minutes. I'm Red. I'm Chin. And I'm Miles. Today, we're talking about Defender, one of the original shoot-em-ups and a real gem of a difficult game. Yes. Uh, classically uh, classically one of the hardest games, uh, quote-unquote, ever made. Uh, there's been documentaries about it. There's, uh, It's definitely held its place in gaming history as a fantastic space shooter and uh, kind of a groundbreaking title. But before we get into that, we have a little bit of news to get into. So first little bit, um, as we mentioned earlier, uh, E3 has been canceled, but uh, there are still going to be showcases that same weekend from individual developers, as well as Thursday, June 9th. uh, There is the Summer Games Fest, We'll be streaming on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, And if you want to check that out, there will be uh, showcases from EA, Activision, Capcom, Bandai Namco, Square Enix, Gearbox, Riot, and more. So I'm actually very looking forward to it because I have a numbers of games which I'm looking forward to hear from either Capcom and Square Enix, like the... Final Fantasy 16. I heard it's very good in progress in terms of development. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. Uh, the latest expansion of Monster Hunter Rise will be released by the end of June. So yeah, I one... guess I will hear something from Capcom too. Yeah, that's going to be an exciting one to pick up. I'm looking, it's long overdue to, I don't know. I think I'm, it's long overdue for the expansion on Monster Hunter. Uh, it's more incentive for me to, you know, get put in some more time on the game itself. <clears throat> Three days later, on June 12th, Xbox and Bethesda are going to be having their showcase uh, showing whatever they're working on. Hopefully it's some Starfield because uh, recently yes. they announced that game has been delayed uh, to the first half of 2023. It was originally going to be a November of 2022 release, but... Uh, uh, I don't know. We kind of hoped it, they were going to stick to that deadline, but it's it's expected at this point. Yeah, I mean, delay is not kind of a news in game industry now. So no, it's it's a standard. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> it's it's still just annoying though. I mean, it's just like don't don't give like a specific release date until you're close. Until you like until you're within like a six month like window of completing the game i don't think you should announce it or at least give like a more don't do a specific date at least give like a more generalized release spectrum so i mean just save face like don't just i know you're maybe expecting it to go a certain way but you don't need to just announce it only to then delay it like a couple months later it is what it is, and we'll hopefully like the, what we see at the showcase on June twelfth will enlight, like bring us back and get us more eager, 
or maybe it'll make us mad that it wasn't released this year. We'll see. <laughs> In other news, Dying, Dying Light's developer Techland is moving on to a action fantasy RPG. As announced on their Twitter, they are currently hiring for it, and they've said that it's going to be open world. So I think we can mm. sort of expect something like Dying Light. That's a pretty different switch for the style, according to my understanding on what Dying Light is. Yeah, I mean, it's Dying Light is if they do like some the same kind of free running based open world action, I think it'll be pretty fun. But yeah, but I've always liked the fantasy genre, so we'll see what they have. Mm-hmm. I think it's not too far far of a stretch for them to switch genres like that. Um, Yeah. Dying Light is already very sort of melee focused. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's a lot of like opportunity for them to just sort of transplant that gameplay into a different setting and and run with it. Yeah, after all, it's open world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, well, here's looking forward to it. Uh, I mean, if they just... uh... They're, now that they're moving on, I mean, it'll be a couple years before we see anything really exciting from that. But mm-hmm. we'll be we'll be here and we'll be watching. But I think that's about all the time we have for news this week. So we are going to get into our long description and talk about one of the hardest games ever made and one of the most famous games. Defender. Okay, so we're going to be talking about Defender today, and I think we should start off by talking about uh, a little bit of like the environment at the time. So Defender was first released uh, in uh, arcades uh, back in 1981, uh, and it was made by uh, the company Williams Electronics. designed by Eugene Jarvis. Um, So at this time, before uh, Defender was made, Eugene Jarvis was uh, the lead programmer for a bunch of pinball games for Williams Electronics. And uh, pinball pinball was making some huge strides at that point, transitioning into the 80s. Less... uh, less slow paced games and a lot more like mechanical advancements came along. So you were able to really have a look at some like unique, more involved pinball experiences. Um, But this was all just a part of the arcade uh, atmosphere. So arcades were still King back at this time and they were, just filled with a variety of different cabinets. I mean, Pong uh, uh, was released in 77, 78 uh, as the like first major arcade game that hit popularity. But pinball was kind of like the biggest thing at the time that was taking up more space than the digital games that were yet to be released. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can say the Defender is one of the best and most advanced title at the time when I think it's about the almost the golden age of arcade games because of judging by what kind of hardware they have and 
mm-hmm. how they deal with the audio and the graphics of that space film by the time. Yeah, it was. I mean, space themed games were definitely uh, always kind of popular as well. I mean, uh, Eugene Jarvis, the creator, like he took inspiration for Defender from playing games like Asteroids, from playing uh, uh, Space War, uh, which was like one like one of the original games like that was played back. You had to play it on like a big mainframe. Uh, he talked about even going uh, to the Stanford campus and playing it there uh, uh, while he was from Silicon Valley. So he would go to the Stanford campus to play uh, Space War on a giant mainframe computer uh, to check out all these, like, basically planets that had gravity, like different like black holes, suns, planets. Uh, Space was definitely one of the starters for uh, many arcade games and everything else. Mm -hmm. But Defender was unique in the fact that it was... uh, So it was essentially like the first side-scrolling shooter game. So whereas you had like Space Invaders and Asteroids where it was kind of just one screen... And you're mainly just moving around like a spaceship on one screen or moving left to right and shooting in one direction. Uh, This was the first one where you could actually go off the screen and be in a playable area. Uh, They had a lot of different ideas, but Defender was essentially you're defending this planet from these alien invaders that are trying to collect... Uh, these astronauts off the ground so you're just flying along in your path uh, shooting down these uh, alien captors who are trying to abduct all these astronauts um very futuristic uh graphics and tuckle and visually more appealing than anything else as many games at the time were released on black and white screens with maybe like gel overlays like Space Invaders used to be. Uh, This one was one of the first ones that actually had a color tube uh, inside the cabinet. So this was very groundbreaking and flashy for the time. But It's not only a shooting game, but you also have to save, like literally, like the name of the game, defend the the human inside the game because there are I mean you are one of the the plane in the game and then there are your enemies and they're also human and it's just so difficult I mean if you don't defend the human you won't actually just lose the game but you get less score you got you get bonus score by saving some human mm-hmm like uh and the other thing about that too is if you fail to save a human and it gets abducted all the way to the top, it then becomes an enemy like a mutoid or like a mutant that would uh, then turn against you and maybe try and attack some other, some other astronauts that are like on the ground that you're running around. Um, But surprisingly as like groundbreaking as this game was, there wasn't really a, a large, like following right when it came out uh 
because of the difficulty uh, initially. Uh, it was it was showcased in 1980 um, at I forget the name of that showcase, uh, but they basically barely made it uh, into this showcase to show off the game. Uh, they had to. They forgot to create an attract screen on it initially. So the attract screen for a lot of cabinet games were when it's not being in use, it would showcase some gameplay and other things that uh, just gameplay basically get people to look and see what the game was going to be about to attract them to put a couple quarters in and give it a shot. <clears throat> uh, but the original cabinet also had... Uh, it was quickly became uh, one of the hardest ones as like the average player, the their average run on the game was a less than 30 seconds. Uh, so imagine just trying to get onto this new game and then putting in a quarter and then 30 seconds later, you're needing to put in another one. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a good way to make money, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Definitely a quarter eater, uh, but I mean, from the from the world of the arcades, uh, being able to master a difficult game and show how long you can last was, especially with a game as difficult as Defender, uh, kind of was a badge of honor. Uh, you were able to definitely be kind of, you were the cool guy walking around the arcade if you can maintain some time on a couple quarters on defender as opposed to some other games where sure you could like like mario bros on the arcade uh just originally playing some time into there it didn't have quite the same level of uh attraction or difficulty that defender showcased mm-hmm Uh, another unique thing about Defender was uh, whereas a lot of other games really have like a joystick and maybe two buttons or like a couple different or like a or a trackball and a couple different buttons. Uh, this was the uh, a bit intimidating at the time as well because there was uh, five usable buttons and a joystick that you were able to control with. But some of the five usable buttons were to shoot to add thrusters to like raise and lower yourself as well um, as well as to freely move around with the joystick uh, drop like essentially screen clearing bombs that you were able to that you got more of every 10,000 points you got in the game you got these uh, you get one more life and one more screen clearing bomb uh, basically, which if you get yourself in a tight spot, you can just drop one of those and it would destroy every enemy on the screen at the time. But it's definitely been uh, one of the longest running games. I mean, I think there's still competitions uh, involved in seeing how long you can play Defender. Although... It actually feels a little bit weird because you have a lever. In theory, you can you can move in four different ways up, down, left, and right. But in in fact, in the game, you can only see yourself moving up and down. That's how how you can move. And then if you move left and right, it instead becomes uh, speeding up to a specific direction. Mm-hmm. It's actually a little bit difficult yeah. to get used to it. 
yeah, it's not just like free movement. It's almost like an accelerator when you go left or right to speed up. It's definitely a a tough uh, strategy. It's definitely a tough game to get used to, which I think that had a, yeah, uh, it's definitely been a marked as one of the toughest games to get used to. I mean, especially at a time when movement on certain games was definitely varied from cabinet to cabinet. There wasn't necessarily a standard of a standard of movement or controls for cabinets. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was also one of the things that was unique and drawing to arcades as well. It was the arcade experience is completely different from a console experience and sitting at your TV and playing at home. Uh, I mean, you're surrounded by other people and just the, the lights and the noises, and you can just lose yourself by defending these astronauts with these futuristic colored lasers and these like new incredible sounds for the time that just really kind of like outshined many of the other games at the arcade that year. I mean, the, it was the second most popular game of the year in 1981, uh, just behind Pac-Man. So just the, the difference of the kinds of games that you were playing in arcades at that time and what was considered like a good game is completely different than what we would have uh, to that than what we have like today in some arcades. It's still a fantastically difficult and beautiful piece of equipment. Another thing that was really unique about Defender itself, uh, if you haven't seen the movie High Score, um, that was based on one man's journey to try and beat the Defender uh, longest running game in the Defender High Score. Uh, the original one was unique based because the first record set or like recorded one was someone played Defender for 21 hours. And then it later went on to be, I think, close to close to or over a two day stretch of playing. Um, the interest in this game has taken like many, many strides and people were able to find little exploits within the game to essentially give themselves some breaks. There were ways to build up lives. There were ways to build up, uh, uh, get like a little glitch of invincibility. So you didn't get hurt. Uh, so you could step away, like to use the restroom, step away to maybe take, a little bit of a nap uh, so you can rack up a bunch of extra lives just to pause it, set yourself a timer for how many lives you have and give yourself a little bit of little bit of shut eye in between trying to play this one game for two days. But it's definitely a beautiful, uh, beautifully strong and interesting game. That is also one game that I hope that we can one day get the physical copy for it. Uh, Absolutely, in our museum. That would be a big showcase. Like the 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 Atari um, uh, ports onto the twenty six hundred were are good. 
but there's nothing quite like having it in the original cabinet you know yeah i mean like for the art for the arcade uh sorry for the otari version there was very like limiting uh limiting capabilities so instead of it being like these uh space instead of being at this like space scape uh on this like foreign planet uh it was actually set in more of like a cityscape on earth uh with the blocky pixels acting as like skyscrapers and everything um and you, where you were still rescuing people denoted by pixels um but the big thing too is that was really interesting if you watch some playthroughs of the the Atari 2600 port uh it when you shoot your laser instead of it just being like a big laser shot uh shot forward your uh ship actually disappears it looks like your ship becomes the laser that you are shooting towards the other towards the other players uh mm-hmm. but that that was with many games that had a port to the Atari 2600 um it was still a great game but it had to be changed just a bit uh, in order for it to run properly. I mean, same thing with Pac-Man, the other popular game at the time. The port on the Atari was popular, but did not quite hit the same notes as uh, playing it in an arcade would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the dots that you ate in on the Atari version were rectangles. Not even dots, but... <laughs> so... Interestingly, at the uh, 1980 show, about a year before its final release, um, at the at the trade show that it was displayed at, it didn't really garner much interest, probably because it didn't have an attract screen. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't have a lot of sort of the final features that would make people really interested in in playing a, a video game like that. Um, so it was kind of written off as a. It was. It was for Williams Electronics a very risky endeavor. Um, uh, Jarvis and the rest of the team didn't really have a whole lot of faith in its final success. Um, once it did hit arcades, though, it became popular enough to attract crowds even during its like playtest nights. Um, mm. When really it's just there to sort of make sure that the machine works. Uh, wasn't really on on full access yet. Uh, by its release in 1981, though, it was topping charts and was already one of the top earners in the industry. Um, as of today, it's ru- it's sold roughly 70,000 cabinets and uh, made about $1.5 billion. So the thing about the $1.5 billion that I'm concerned about, is that $1.5 billion in quarters? Or is that just... Like, like is that just, uh, like, the with what the cabinets have sold. I'm pretty sure that's selling the cabinets. Uh, Okay. One and a half billion in quarters is a lot of quarters. I know it's a lot of quarters, quarters. but I'm, yeah, but I'm also just like, even if 70,000 cabinets, if you sell them at 10,000 a cabinet or 20,000 a cabinet, that still doesn't equate to 1.5 billion. I mean, is that you buy the cabinet and then do the people get and like, a percentage of the quarters that are put into the cabinet after that? Or is mm-hmm. this just like if it's or maybe just like different ports or different versions of the game being sold? It's I don't know. Maybe they meant 1.5 billion quarters, not 1.5 billion dollars. But 
Still a lot of money. But. Still a lot of money. I think part of the reason it was so successful was because it was so difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. It it was a coin eater. Like it, there was there was no getting around it. New players would have runs that lasted seconds, ten seconds, fifteen seconds. <laughs> I've tried playing it on my computer, and boy, do I not know how to play. Um, <laughs> you also don't have the original controls, unless no, you certainly have... not. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. I'm not just bad. Um, <laughs> even even simple enemies in the game have uh, lasers and bullets that can cross the screens in fractions of a second. Like, yeah, it is it is a punishing game, um, and the people who become good at it have really sort of gotten into this like zen state, if you will. Oh yeah. Um, they are they are very much in the zone. They can see everything that's going on at all times and sort of have this awareness of the uh, the bar that shows the entire map and essentially yeah. everything that's going on, uh, even mean, when they, not looking at it. Yeah, I mean, like even this this first, uh, I mean, Defender, I guess it also has like the first iteration of a game with a mini map too. Mm-hmm. There's like it was. The map was large, like the screen itself was larger than other plate, like lar- larger than other cabinets that were like two uh, fifty six by two fifty six. Uh, but now this game was, I think it was like three, like, I think it was like three twelve by two fifty six. So it had a wider display, and the mini map up top that showed where everything else was on either side of like the full use map. So you could fly off screen and still see where a little bit of where you're going up above, but mm-hmm. it's it's quite groundbreaking. Um, All of this exciting. difficulty left led to a lot of sort of diving into the mechanics of how the game worked in order to get high scores. Like players really examined how the the enemies you know got their uh got their targeting how did they how did they find you how do they go to you um and one of the strategies that emerged emerged in order to sort of not cheat but game the system was the idl which is a uh, stands for the international dateline because the map is circular uh it's very difficult for a computer to understand crossing that line uh, so imagine you have a sheet of paper and you fold it so that the edges touch. Uh, so you've got like a cylinder, mm-hmm. um, and it's the same way with the it's it's the same way with Earth. We have an international dateline, which is where the name comes from. Um, that is a graph, and the the seam of the paper is the zero line. And crossing the zero line meant that the computer suddenly thinks you're on the other side of the map. And so the the strategy was to sort of ride that line as much as you could so that uh, the the very aggressive and fast enemies would have to keep switching back and forth which direction they're going uh, in order to get you from what they think is the fastest line, even though it's not. Mm-hmm. So it, it led to some very interesting um, creative use of game mechanics, if you will. Yeah, it's when people figure out ways to essentially break the game or I mean, it's not breaking. It's in the game. So just exploit the game for their own 
maximized scorage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, like that. That's a, some next level pro gamer moves. Yeah, that's a pro gamer move on uh, 80s. Yes. <laughs> uh, the original pro gamers. Uh, mm-hmm. Before they were doing it for money, they had to pay to play. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's quite the incredible game. Um, and maybe we can, I don't know. Uh, Defender is such an important game. Maybe we'll try to get, uh, see if we can get in touch with Mr. Eugene Jarvis to see if we can get him to talk about uh, Defender and some of the other games that he's worked on and the impact that he's had. But that'll be for another episode. Uh, in the meantime, we want to just... Yeah, just thank you for listening to About Defender. Well, have you been playing new stuff? Um, well, so, now that we're back, I haven't really been playing anything incredibly new. Uh, I've actually been taking a break now that I'm busy with other life things, been watching uh, my friend's house for a while. So, not really playing too many games. I actually... Uh, when I get off work tonight, I think I'm going to try and pick up, uh, maybe finish up some Horizon Zero Dawn before I wish to get into, before I dive and see if I can purchase the for, Horizon Forbidden wow. West. Mm-hmm. Um, it, from what I've heard about Forbidden West, it picks up right basically where you left off at after Zero Balls. Dawn. Mm-hmm. So, well, like, we'll see. But I'm also, uh, it was also gotten on PS4, not on PS5, but he still says it looks amazing on the PS4. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I also may just wait and get it on PC in a couple of years when it comes out there. Um, That's my plan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But uh, what about you guys? Anything interesting and fun? Uh, I beat Sekiro uh, a couple days ago. Ooh. Uh, Sekiro. Ooh. Uh, Elden Pro Ring. gamer. Oh, Elden Ring. Okay. Elden Ring, not Sekiro. <laughs> Elden Sekiro. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll come back to Sekiro like next year, maybe. Sekiro. Um, yes. Sekiro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then because I was in the mood for a sort of simpler game, uh, I picked up Dishonored 2, and Ooh. I am doing my second run of that game. Uh, the first one I played. Uh, low chaos which means basically very little killing uh all of the sort of side objectives are done uh, non-lethally uh this time it's going to be a bloodbath mm. getting getting back into a bethesda mood before uh, to get a little pre-taste of starfield huh <laughs> no one lives here alive <laughs> no yeah dishonored is one of my favorite franchises so i'm i'm very happy to be back in it and, and and just fooling around in that world. Awesome. Yeah, that, that was always one that intrigued me. And I'll have to give that a shot at one of these points. Chalk it up to the never-ending list of games I should play. Uh, <laughs> uh, what about you, June? Have you been playing anything well, interesting? Well, I'm in the state of preparing for new games. So I have been picking up the old games, which they are they are going to release a new version of it very soon 
So I have been mm-hmm. either preparing my stuff in Monster Rise or I'm practicing my aim in Splatoon mm-hmm. 2. Oh. Yeah, because they will all have yes. a new version very, very soon. Yep. Uh, it's time to get brushing up on some old titles for new release of the sequels. Yeah, I'm also going back to Animal Crossing for just chilling, you, you know. <laughs> oh, yes. You, you, everybody needs a little bit of a relaxing yeah. escape. From... You don't need to save the world every single day. No, no. You can just exist in it. It's like, I just want to go fishing. I just want to go fishing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just relax and maybe plant, maybe do a little bit of gardening, do some fishing, you know. Forget about the struggles of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's about all the time we have for the Made Cast today. Uh, we want to thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, please shoot us an email at info at We would like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our patient supporters who keep the maid afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services and we continue that with future episodes every week. This week's episode was brought to you in part by Patreon donors Hodge and Sec. Thank you so much for your support. Till next time, I'm Miles. I'm Shin. And I'm Red. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.